This is like a Gallagher concert. They need to like wear the yeah, whatever, whatever, right? We'll just see what sticks. Okay, and, and just a special shout out to my 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 mother from another other genie whose birthday it is today. I love you. She had me when I was like, she was like five years old, and I was a quarter of the size. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, I love the fact that in this in, in this church, uh, I have been adopted by about four or five other mothers. I'm like, I need them because they all recognize that in order for me to actually grow up, I'm going to need a little bit more parenting. So, if you are just joining us, hi, my name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are in a series that we're calling uh, Life on Purpose. We want to live our lives with an intentionality, and we want to begin to discern how God has uniquely designed us to join Him in moving the world forward. Um, And so we, over the last couple of weeks, have really been kind of looking at what we were created to do from a general standpoint. Today, we're going to begin to zero in on a much more intentional, what does it look like specifically for me to join with God in what he is calling me to do? What is my vocation? Now, before we get there, though, it's really important for us to understand the theological foundation from which we are going to go because the word vocation isn't actually found in Scripture in much the same way that the word trinity is not found in Scripture, but it is a term that has been coined throughout the church and throughout Christendom to help us understand something that is very evident throughout scripture. But before we get there, we need to really understand the foundation that we're building off of. So grab your Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter one. For many of you, that will be on page one. Okay. Um, Or, or on your phones, it's yeah, button one. Okay. So Genesis chapter one and verse 26, we find our identity or our, our, our job title, if you will. We read in verse, chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So we see right from the very beginning of the Bible that we have a very clear understanding of what we were made to do. What is the purpose of life? It is to be an image bearer, a representative of God, partnering with him in ruling over and caring for creation. Of course, many of us go, I I don't necessarily know what that means. How do I actually live as an image bearer? How do I rule alongside God? So thankfully, we have verse 28, which gives us more of a job description, goes into a little bit more detail as to what our job as image bearers and co-rulers with God are. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. As we discussed last week, this is what theologians refer to as the cultural mandate because ultimately he is calling his image bearers, us, to join him in carving out culture or cultivating culture from the raw materials that he has created. Remember, when, the, when he first spoke the earth into existence... 
it was formless and empty. The, the word in Hebrew is tohu wabohu, which I just keep repeating because it's fun to say, right? It, it's just this mass of, of raw materials. It's haphazardly strewn about. And over six days, God begins to speak them into place. I want sky here. I want water there. I want land here. I want trees to spring up. I want there to be fish in the sea and birds in the sky and animals along the ground. And it's so. And then he creates humanity to partner with him in moving his world forward and taking it somewhere and beginning to cultivate culture out of those raw materials to do something with them. And so you and I, as, as the children of Adam and Eve, who have inherited this world, which is what's left of the Garden of Eden, we have been invited into this adventure of joining God in filling the earth, and in ultimately doing something, working the ground and making something of it, creating a world that is Edenic, is a place of delight. Well, if you guys go on, there's a, a place called World Population Clock or World Pop Clock that you can look at. As of this morning, can we throw the number up there? As of this morning, we have over 7.5 billion people on the planet. That's a lot. And it keeps growing because when I, when I did the numbers earlier, it was seven. and that was just a couple of days ago. So we just continue to fill this place up, which is great, but it begs a question. Are we all supposed to do exactly the same thing? How do 7.5 billion people live out this cultural mandate to fill the earth, subdue it? I mean, the reality is we kind of already have filled the earth. We're good on that part, right? We, good job. We, we've populated the planet. We can keep going, but, you know, good job. But the beauty of this is the reminder that as culture is created, it allows for even demands specialization. What I mean by that is because we have so many stinking people on the planet and because we are now developing cultures and civilizations we can begin to specialize and focus. Because when you live in an agrarian society or you live in a hunter-gatherer society, everybody in that society has to join in hunting and gathering in order to have enough food. But as you begin to get enough people that some people can focus on going and doing some hunting, some people can go ahead and focus on, on growing some crops or gathering the crops, other people can begin to focus on other things like medicine and, and caring for those who get hurt because they don't hunt so good or um, or so well, yes, for those of you who are English majors in the room um, or for those of you who, you know, they can begin to specialize as teachers, raising up the next generation and training them. Others can focus on inventing things that have not been seen that will help make the world an easier, more comfortable or better place for people. And then there are other people who need to market those things and explain them to people and explain why they need them. And there's other people who need to make them. But we're getting too esoteric here. Let, let, let's just focus on this morning. Some of you walked in here, and when you got to the back, you didn't make it in for worship per se because there were donuts and coffee. Right? Yay, Jesus. Right? But you think about it. Where did those donuts come from? I didn't make them. You didn't make them. Somebody else made them. Somebody else got up way earlier than you did to bake them. And somebody else had to go and source the materials, the, had to refine the flour and the sugar and the, uh, let's call it healthy oils that were used in making those donuts. And still others had to actually grow the wheat that was ultimately made into the flour and so on and so forth. 
or the coffee that you drank. You didn't pick the beans. You didn't grow the beans. You didn't roast the beans. You didn't brew the coffee. You also didn't make the cup into which the coffee was poured, and then you just poured it on the floor. You didn't make the floor, right? And you're not going to clean the spot on the floor. As you can tell, we probably weren't going to clean the spot either. But the point is this. All of us have different roles in moving the world forward. In fact, we see this as early as Genesis chapter 4. We begin to see specialization in God's creation. Because Adam and Eve's first children, Cain and Abel, each of them takes a different role. Cain, he becomes, he starts becoming agrarian and he starts growing crops while Abel begins to take animals and, and, and husband them so that he can grow a flock out of it. Of course, this also then is the first example recorded where you have a, jealousy tied to career choice and and kind of beginning to compare yourself with one another. Oftentimes that kind of comparison can be caustic to relationship. And especially in that example that I just gave you, it can, can become deadly. As Kathy always tells my boys, comparison is the thief of joy. When you begin to compare what you are doing or what you feel led to do to what somebody else is doing, it can really steal the joy out of what you are currently doing. But in all of this conversation about specialization, it brings us to this term that is worn out and hackneyed and at the same time rich and important for us to understand. And it's this word vocation. It's a word probably many of you have heard before, used before. I'm going into vocational ministry or, you know, what am, what am I, what's my vocation in life? All that kind of stuff. Today, we simply want to define that term and we want to begin to understand what it is And what it is not. Because at the end of the day, our goal throughout this entire series and throughout this year is to help you begin to embrace the vocation for which God has given you. So the word vocation comes from the Latin vox, which means voice. Think about that for a minute. Your vocation is a little bit like your voice, your way of speaking into the world. And when you think about how God created the world... He spoke it into existence, didn't he? First, with the raw materials, he spoke the world into existence. And then over the next six days, he used his voice to bring order to his creation. And in the same way, when we let our lives speak, I love that there's a, the Quakers have that term, let your life speak. When we allow our lives to speak through our vocation, through what we do, through the work of our hands and the investment of our heart, we join God. In, in bringing order to and moving his world forward. Think about your voice for a minute. Your voice is unique. Seven and a half billion people on this planet, nobody, yes, your voice might sound a little bit like other people's voices, but nobody else on this planet speaks with exactly the same tone, with exactly the same inflection as you. Like your fingerprint, your voice is unique. And in the same way, your vocation is unique. Yes, it might look very, very similar to a whole lot of other people's. But no other person is exactly like you and can do the same things like you do. And so we want to begin to unearth, to excavate what has God uniquely called you to do. So that's the goal of this series as we kind of dive in here. Um, But I do need to mention that voice 
is not the best definition for vocation because voice is simply the root from which we get vocation. The best definition for vocation is calling because the word in Latin vocatio is where we get the word vocation and that is literally translated calling, which is important for us to remember because it could be easy for us to begin to think that our vocation is simply something that comes out of, it, it just kind of naturally flows out of our experiences and our gift mix and the things we've done. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, oh, there's my vocation. And while there is truth that our calling flows from those things, it is also tied to the one who calls us, the one who created us. There is a caller doing the calling. And so we can't understand or embrace our vocation apart from recognizing that it is God who has formed each of us, God who has chosen the very chromosomes in our body, God who has been helping guide and direct the journey of your life and even redeeming some of the brokenness of your journey and allowing you to be formed and shaped into a tool that he can use to advance his kingdom purposes. And so our vocation is inextricably tied to our relationship with God. And it is only through relationship with him that we can truly understand what we have been called to do. We making sense? Cool. With that, um, I'd like to take a couple of moments to explain what a vocation is not. I want to I clarify our term here. Because vocation, oftentimes, we begin to think of what we're doing with our identity. And I need to tell you straight up front that your vocation is not your identity, but your vocation flows from your identity. A lot of times we look at the things we're doing, the things we're giving ourselves to and say, this is who I am. This is a sum total of who I am. We look around at, at how we're doing and that's how we feel about ourselves. But the reality is if our calling, if the work of our hands is ultimately our identity, then what happens when you're out of work? Or for many of you, what happens when you retire? Do you give up your identity along with your paycheck? Thankfully, no, Darlene, the answer is no. <laughs> Thankfully, it's not. And that's why, by the way, that's why we spent three months back in October, November, and December working through the book of Ephesians. Because the book of Ephesians from the very beginning to the end reminds us that our identity is found in our relationship with Christ. Because we are in Christ, we are remade. We're no longer viewed as sinners in God's eyes. We're saints. More than that, though, we have been adopted into his family. And because of his love for us, because we are in Christ, we are completely and utterly secure. So we can stop striving, stop trying to earn our Father's love, stop trying to be good enough, and just rest in the fact that he loves us for who we are. But the book of Ephesians continues to lean into the idea that, yes, we are secure in his love as children of God, but we were redeemed and adopted for a purpose we are here for something more than simply to be safe and to be as kids and say, okay, I'm good. I punched my ticket to heaven. Because if that was it, if it was only about relationship with him, then God could just zap us into heaven the moment we put our faith in him. It would be a lot safer. It would be a lot less painful. 
And yet, remember, God didn't make humanity just to save humanity. He made humanity to partner with him in moving the world forward. So when we embrace our identity as his kids, we also inherit the opportunity, the responsibility, the right to join him in moving the world forward in allowing him access to all of our gifts and our talents and so forth to do what he wants to do in and through us. We become his representatives living out and reflecting his heart in our spheres of influence, in our workplaces, at school, when we go to the gym, Charlie does a great job of that. When he goes to the gym, he's constantly representing Lighthouse, but he's also representing Jesus there. I love that because he's being intentional and recognizing this, this building isn't the church. You are the church. So as you go about your business, as you go about living your life, you are the church. You are God's representatives moving the world forward and making it a more garden-like place. So the first thing we need to remember is our vocation, our calling, what we feel that we have to do is not our identity, but it is inextricably tied to our identity. It flows from it. We have the security of knowing I am God's child, I am God's daughter, I'm God's son. And because of that, I get to go represent him. That's exciting and a little bit scary. The second thing I need us to remember is that our vocation is not necessarily synonymous with our occupation. This is something that it took me a while to recognize, but it is imperative that we get this. Because a lot of times we just convolute those two words. We, we use them as synonyms. What's your vocation? Well, my job is, but that's not... Oftentimes our job and what we feel called to do are not exactly the same thing. Now, we can definitely do our vocation through our job, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're exactly the same thing. Because here, here's how I've often understood it. This is the metaphor I use. Our occupation from the, the, the Latin uh, occupatio, which means to take up space or to fill a, a, a place, our occupation is what we do to pay the bills. It, it, it takes up time. We, we sacrifice or we give our time for a paycheck. It's what we do to live. And we got to do it. But oftentimes, many of us don't necessarily love our jobs. We don't feel fulfilled by our jobs. Many of us do the job because we got to live, but we look forward to getting off of our job so we can go do something else that we enjoy more, right? Our vocation, on the other hand, is that thing that is just within us that we have to do. And it doesn't matter if we're getting paid for it or not. If we're not doing it, then the world feels a little bit bleaker. It, life doesn't feel or taste quite as rich. To use this metaphor... Uh, our, our occupation is like our eggs that we need to eat in the morning to nourish our bodies so we can keep going, right? We've got to eat. But our vocation is like the, the salt and the pepper, the seasoning that brings those eggs to life and makes them enjoyable to eat. Can we survive simply through an occupation? Sure, yeah. It'll be nourishing, but it won't be satisfying in the way that living out what you were created to do, doing that. Let's, let's look at this biblically for a minute. Think about Paul, the, the Apostle Paul for a minute. 
Do you remember what Paul's occupation was, what he did to pay the bills? He was a tent maker. He worked with his hands. He was an artisan. His job as a tent maker supplied his his need to be able to eat. And it also got him into to proximity to people so that he could fulfill his vocation. And his vocation was being a minister of the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people that, for the most part, the Gentiles who didn't feel like the Messiah was for them. And he's saying, no, he is for you. This isn't in your notes, but let's put up First Thessalonians chapter 2 for a moment. It, this is Paul writing to the Thessalonian church. He says, surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. So Paul had a very clear understanding He had an occupation, and his occupation enabled him to be doing his vocation. But at the end of the day, I don't think there was ever a morning where Paul laid in bed wondering, am I fulfilled making tents? Does this complete me? Because at the end of the day, it was just a means to an end. He understood, this is what God has called me to do, is share the gospel, to continue to push the kingdom of God forward into lands that and into areas where it has not been before to begin to plant seeds that will grow into the church into a community of people now I was about 23 years old when I first began to wake up to the idea that an occupation wasn't necessarily the same as a vocation At the time I had graduated from college, I was uh, working, doing PR for the surfing industry, which meant that I got to spend a lot of time going to the beach and watching surf contests and then writing about it and sending it off to newspapers and magazines who would subsequently ignore me for the most part, Um, but, but trying to get word out about this. And at first you're thinking, oh, that was such a cool job. And it was really cool. It was fun to get to go to the beach for a while. But slowly I started becoming disenchanted with it it just be it just i didn't care at the end of the day who won the latest surf contest it didn't matter to me and i was watching these surfers who were getting paid to do exactly what they loved to do and they would have done it regardless of whether they were paid for it or not in fact if they had a tough surf contest they just go down the beach swim back out and keep surfing with nobody watching Because they were doing what they loved. And in that moment, I realized that's what I want to do. Not surf. I'm not very um, coordinated. That's not what I want to do. I want to do what what I just love to do. I I want to do what I find myself giving myself to constantly, whether, whether I'm paid for it or not. And so I started looking at the way I was spending my free time. That's usually a good way to begin discerning what you love to do. And I found that I was spending an inordinate amount of my free time going out to lunch or going out to dinner with um, somebody who was either older than me, more mature than me, which is a lot of people who, who could speak into my life. Or I was going out with some of my peers and just kind of walking with them. We'd have lunch and we would process, you know, who am I? What am I here for? What has God made me to do? And just asking questions that would draw them out. I loved that. It, it didn't suck life out of me it energized me and so i started saying that's what i want to do full time well i was 23 living at my parents house without a a wife without kids so i did what any 23 year old impulsive kid who had no responsibility for the most part did i quit and i went and spent the next month sitting on the beach ironically 
kind of asking the question, God, what have you made me to do? What, what, am I, what is my contribution to this world? And over the course of that month, I wrote my first purpose statement for my life. It really, it's just kind of a declaration of here is my best take on what my vocational calling is. And this is what I ended up writing. I want to invest my life inspiring, encouraging, and equipping those who are hungry for maturity, meaning those who want to grow, those who are hungry to put in the time and effort. I want to inspire, encourage, and equip them to pursue a more intimate relationship with God and do what he's called them to do. This became for me a lens through which I could look at everything, all the possibilities, all the, that. well, I could do this, I could do that. This became the lens that I looked at all of it. Now, this was for me. So if I understood what I meant by this. It might feel a little bit garbled. Don't worry. That's not, this isn't for you. This was for me. And I, if I boil this down 20 years later, have a much better understanding of what I meant by this. I have been called to disciple other people. I have been called to walk with, shepherd, care for, and mentor other people who want to grow, who are intentional about it. Not everybody will be, but that's what I want to be about. That's what I want to spend my life on. That's my calling. So with that new lens, I began to look at possibilities. And at first I said, you know what? If I want to walk with people who want to grow, the best place I could do that is in high school as a teacher because they all want to grow, right? They're really excited about growing. So I started looking at, I seriously, genuinely believe that's, that's where I'm going to go. So I started looking at different credentialing programs because I wanted to become a teacher. I think I would have really enjoyed it too. But um, everywhere I went... They were saying it's going to be at minimum two years before you see the inside of a classroom. And hello, 23-year-old impulsive male. That felt like too much of my life to invest. So forget it. That's a closed door, right? Because two years, that's a huge difference. But while I was looking at schools, I went over to Vanguard University. They have a teacher credentialing program. And literally while I'm sitting in the office, I had an epiphany. Wait a minute. If I want to walk with other people and help them understand who they are and understand what they believe and understand what they've been called to do, I should probably figure this out for myself. I should probably get the tools to answer my own questions so I don't have to take my parents or my pastor's word for it anymore. Brilliant. So I signed up that day again, impulsive 23-year-old. I signed up that day for a master's in theological studies to get the tools to answer my own questions. Okay. Fast forward 10 years. I am working at a church down the street as a pastor. I'm also working at Vanguard University as an adjunct professor. I am teaching. I am pastoring. And I was begin. I, you would think, oh, you've arrived. And in some ways, sure, yeah. You're living out your vocation. Well, maybe. But then why was I feeling that similar sense of blahness? Why, why was it still feeling like I was eating eggs without the seasoning on it? And I realized I was looking at teaching and at pastoring and equating it to my vocation when in reality it was still my occupation. This is how I was providing for myself. Now, granted, it was far more aligned with my vocation, but it still wasn't my vocation. My vocation was discipleship. And I was finding myself focused on writing syllabi, grading papers, 
writing messages or writing curriculum for life groups that then the life groups would ignore and do their own thing or, or, or leading life groups. And, 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 but I wasn't actually being intentional about discipling. And so I was eating the eggs without the salt, without the pepper, mainly the salt. I like salt, right? It was blah. And in that moment, moment I realized I still need to be intentional even in this wonderful arena of getting to pastor and getting to be a professor. I still need to be intentional about living out what God called me to do. Does this make sense? So my point is this. Do not trade your life simply for a paycheck. Begin to recognize what God has uniquely called, burdened, impressed upon your heart to do and be intentional about doing it. Now, here's what I've realized in hindsight. I could have just as easily lived out my vocation to disciple other people in my occupations. Back when I was working for doing PR for the surfing industry or when I was working at Petland. It, it, had I had the presence of mind, I loved working at Petland. You get to walk around with puppies in your shirt all day and it was fabulous. I had to deal with snakes and spiders. That wasn't so cool, but the puppies. Hey, look, a shiny object, right? Uh, so <laughs> you can do that anywhere. But the reality is I, for my own journey, I needed to kind of walk through this path and, 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 and try some things before I finally zeroed in on this is what God has made me to do. And here's how I can live it out. But I still, even today, need to be intentional. Even today, I need to continue to be intentional to live out my vocation within the occupations that God has entrusted to me. Do not simply trade your life for a paycheck because there's so much more richness when you're doing what God has created you to do. Now, this begs the question, how do we begin to identify my vocation? That's great, Eric. I'm glad you know yours. What about me? Right? How do we get from where I'm sitting right now, where I got a job, or maybe I'm retired, or maybe one day I'll have a job, but I'm at school right now. How do I go from here to having a better understanding of what God has called me to do so I can begin living it out regardless of where I'm at? That's a good question. I, and I'll tell you, it would be really easy if God just treated us like he did Paul or Moses, right? Paul walking on his horse on his way to another city to go persecute Christians because he thinks he's representing God. And Jesus shows up in a blinding flash. He's on the ground blinded. And Jesus says, Paul, why are you persecuting me, dude? Now come with me. You're going to be my minister of the gospel to the Gentile nations or Moses. Moses, take your sandals off. You're standing on holy ground, dude. I just swept this. <laughs> now, prepare yourself because I'm going to send you back to Egypt. I'm going to send you back to the place where you had a unique place. And yeah, I know it didn't end so well. It was pretty messy in the back side. But I'm sending you back there so that you can lead my people out of captivity and lead them to the land that I have promised ages ago to give them. That's your job. It would be wonderful if God would do that for us, wouldn't it? You walk outside, you're on your way to the car, suddenly the clouds part and a beam of light just kind of slams you right in the face and he says, go to law school. <laughs> Mentor the child down the street that has really been irritating you. Start an Etsy business and make lots of money and then use it to advance my kingdom. Whatever it is, right? It would be nice if he told us, 
go be a barista, get really good at making coffee, whatever it is, just tell me and I'll do it. But he doesn't. More often than not, he doesn't. And you begin to wonder, you know, I I wonder if the reason why he put the stories of Paul's calling and and Moses' calling in Scripture, not because it's normative, not because we should expect it, and if we don't get something like that, we don't get one, but he put it in Scripture because it was so different from everybody else's typical experience. Because the reality is I think God may not speak to us out of our fireplace, or out of our, our, our pet or something like that, out of the lips of, of, you know, your parakeet, all of a sudden it starts telling you what you should do. But he still speaks to us constantly. What's going on, cat? You guys having a sidebar? Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm going to hear about that later. Dang it. God still speaks to us. But he typically speaks to us through our experiences, through uh, our along-the-way life, through the relationships that we do, through the, the things that he impresses on our hearts, even through our wounds, he speaks to us. But oftentimes we don't slow down long enough or we're just not, we, we don't have the presence of mind to realize that he is speaking to me about what he has designed me to do. Which is why, which is why, we are going to be spending a good portion of this year helping you begin to excavate from your experiences, from the things that you naturally gravitate towards, from the things that God has already worked into you, from the gifts and talents that you naturally have or the things that have been developed. We are going to help you begin to excavate and identify your calling. That's part of what this series is about. It's also primarily what the missional pathway is about. It is about a a journey of discovery, especially Awaken, that first weekend, which is so foundational to everything that will happen. You can't do Activate, by the way, without doing Awaken, because in Awaken, you begin to look at your life and go, how have I been shaped by my experiences? What are the values that naturally keep percolating up in my life that I just, this is the stuff that brings me joy. This is the stuff that gets my blood boiling. It'll help you identify that so you can begin writing the first take on your purpose statement, your vocational calling. Is it going to be perfect? No. It's going to be the ramblings of a 23-year-old or an 18-year-old or a 75-year-old. But it will help you begin to zero in on what God has called you to do. And then you get to begin living out of, you know, in, in activate, you begin actually acting on it and saying, okay, what do I need to shift? What do I need to change? How can I live this out? How can I live it out in what I'm in? Or do I need to change my job? Or do I need to be more intentional about something? Do I need to let go of some things so I can focus more on whatever? That's what the missional pathway is about. And I, I, bese- I beseech you? No. I, 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 I strongly encourage you. In fact, as your pastor, I ask you to sign up for it, to participate in it. We're, we're putting our money where our mouth is. We are going to cover half of the costs up front so that there's no impediment. And if you can't even afford $25 for the first two steps, we will cover all of it just because I want you in the room. It's that important. If you have yet to sign up for either cohort one, which is March, April, or cohort two, which is May, June, all you need to do is write your name on this connection card, say, I want to get signed up, and we this week, oh, give us your email address, that would help, and we will email you the links so that you can sign up online. 
All right? That's how you can take this step and say, I want to sign up. I want to get a better understanding of what God has made me to do, what he is calling me to do. Now, you don't have to wait, though, to begin to start scraping away the detrius of your life and going, okay, God, what have you already been working in me? What are you calling me to do? What have, I'm going to give you seven questions. This will be the last stuff I gave you this morning. I'm going to give you seven questions that you can begin to use to excavate your calling. All right? Question number one. Where am I going? What do you love? What gets you excited? What makes your blood boil? What, I mean, when, when I say that, what, what, what makes you angry? What makes you excited? What makes you just want to get out of bed? What are the things that you naturally gravitate towards? I know it was something really rude that you just said, Jeannie, but I'm going to ignore it. Oh, I'm sure it was Charlie. It was that man you gave me, God. He said it. Right. It's the question that I asked myself when I was sitting on the beach when I should have been working, right? What, what is it that I, I love doing? What am I giving my time to when I, when I have free time? Or it's the question that we ask kids. If you could do anything with your life and money wasn't an issue, what would you do? Now, let's be honest about this. This is a first world question. There are countless people in the developing world that are just trying to scrape together enough money to feed their families. They don't have the ability to ask this question. They just need to find work. But we live in a very rich country. We have immense abilities to ask these kind of questions about what really satisfies me. And we would be remiss if we did not at least ask the question and consider, do I give myself to something else? Do I change my career? Do I become more intentional about the the way I'm spending or investing is perhaps a better term, my time. So number one, what do you love? Question number two, what are you good at? And on the flip side, what are you not so good at, right? Because there, there are certainly some aspects of our life that, that we, we have natural propensities, things that we're really good at that just come easily to us. And you lean into them and you realize, oh, this, I mean, if you've ever taken the strengths finder, one of the first things they tell you is our, our tendency is to focus on the things we're bad at and trying to improve ourselves in, when the reality is you will see an exponential growth if you lean into the things you're good at. And just surround yourself with people who are better at the things you're not so good at. That's a wonderful way to release yourself from having to be a jack of all trades and master of none. In reality, that term is supposed to be the way that Benjamin Franklin said it is jack of all trades, master of one. That's how we actually put it. We've just changed it because we all want to be good at everything. So what are you good at? But also what are you bad at? Because the reality is there's just some things that we're not going to do well. We're going to fall flat on our face. We're going to try something and just make a fool of ourselves. And we're going to, "Ah." or we're going to try something and we're not going to like it. And you beat yourself up and you go, oh, I failed. But, but if you fail at something that you're not really supposed to do, have you really failed? Or have you just identified something that you weren't called to do? We, we tell kids With great intention, we tell them, you can do anything you want. You can be anything you want. And that is a wonderful invitation to dream. That's important. But can we really do anything we want? I mean, because let's be honest, Charlie was never going to be a basketball star. (laughs) 
And I was never going to be a jockey. It just wasn't in the cards. Thank the, the horses are all saying, thank you. But, but there are aspects of we can only be who God has made us to be. We can only do what he has made us to do. If you are an introvert and you go into sales, it's going to suck you dry. Sure, you can do probably pretty well at it for a season, but it is going to tear your heart out. And if you are an extrovert and you become a forensic accountant where all you're dealing with is numbers and spreadsheets, it's probably going to get pretty boring and you're going to find yourself waking up and going, I don't want to go to church. What? I don't want to go to work. Sorry. <laughs> Although many of you decided this morning when you woke up at 10.10, you're like, oh, okay, I guess I'll go to church, right? By the way, we start at 10 a.m., guys. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, So what is it that you're good at? And also, what is it that you're not good at? I love this quote from from John Mark Comer, which, by the way, just just want to let you know, much of what we're talking about, I'm stealing from him. So don't think that this is all just off of top of my head. Um, But I love this quote. He says, burnout isn't always the result of giving too much. Sometimes it's the result of trying to give something that you don't have to give in the first place. What if you in your life right now are experiencing frustration, you're experiencing burnout because you keep trying to give out of the storehouse something that you don't have at all, or you have very little of, and what if you just embraced, here's the things that I love that fill me up. I love to be around people. I love to have those one-on-one conversations. But, but you might be saying, well, I, that sucks me dry, but I love to open my home and, and just facilitate conversation, but I do not want to be the person in front. I love the fact that Jeff, who is very gifted at teaching, recognizes he finds the most joy being out like he is right now in the hallway having a conversation with somebody rather than being up in the front. And he frees me up to be able to be fully myself as a pastor of this church in the front because I know he's caring for the back and he is recognizing what's going on with you. And he more than I knows what's going on on a Sunday morning in your lives. And in many ways, he is shepherding in a different way than I am. And I celebrate that because it frees me up to shepherd in the way God has called me to do. You see the beauty of, of working together as a team as opposed to thinking that you have to be everything to everyone? You can only give what you have. And sometimes we just need to embrace that and be real with ourselves. Question number three, what does the world need? When you look around and you begin to go, man, I wish that there were more people doing this. Man, why don't people care about orphans? Why aren't people focused on sharing the gospel more? Why don't they seem to care? And it keeps you up at night. Perhaps that's because you are being called to lean in. Everybody's not going to be called to do the same thing. A lot of times we think that if we feel burdened for it, everybody should feel burdened for it. But that's not the case. And as well-meaning as we are, when we beat people up because they're not broken by the same things that break our hearts, we're basically trying to make them a carbon copy of us. And that's not what God designed them to be. I am grateful that there are some of you who are phenomenal sharing the gospel. You know, being being extroverted and you're, you're, you're in the line of the DMV, you strike up a conversation. I love people who are evangelistic like that. Rainier Ray, you are phenomenal at it, my friend, because you just love sharing the good news with anybody. 
But there are other people who don't necessarily express it the same way. There are other people who love hosting, who love baking, who love coming alongside, who like to be in the background loving on people. There are people who like to lead and there are people who like to help facilitate. There are people who love to intercede. There's, there's a reason why all of that conversation of the, the, the body of Christ is made up of many parts. And we don't judge one another because they're not just like us. We need one another. And I'm grateful that in our little church, we have people from lots of different backgrounds, lots of different perspectives. There are people who were raised in a Catholic background. There are people who were raised in an agnostic background. There are people who had no faith system kind of played out in their home at all. There are people who came with very clear understandings. That, you know, We're different people with different perspectives, and yet we get to worship together. And that's the beauty of serving a God who has a very big house and a very big tent, and all of us get to worship together. We focus on the things, that the tent poles that we all can agree on, and Jesus Christ and him crucified, and then we have grace for one another as we all do the things that God has made us to do. Well, I am derailed a little bit. Okay, um, so what does the world need? Perhaps it's because you are called to do it. So question number four, does it make the world a more garden-like place? Does it help move God's creation forward? Because there are certainly some things that we could give ourselves to that do not. Remember last week we talked about we are called to work God's creation to take the raw materials and make something of it. But we are also to take care of it. And there are aspects of working the world that if we disregarded the fact that we are to be stewards of his creation, we could do utter damage to it. And we could make Eden into hell on earth. And when you misuse your body or somebody else's body, when you prey upon people's naivete to make a sale, those are are a couple examples of ways that we can negatively break down God's world as opposed to making it a more Edenic place. So does it make the world more garden-like? Does it make it more uh, a world where you think... You would, can, can you honestly say God smiles upon this? That's an important question to ask. It's kind of tied to this. God, would you smile upon this? Or does it grieve you? Question number five. What do people... Who know and love you say. Sometimes the people who are close to us, the people who know us best, can see those values that percolate through us, can see our skills, our talents, and even our natural calling better than we can. I remember I was 21 years old, maybe 20 years old. I was a sophomore in college living in a fraternity house. I, that year, had started working at a law firm. It was actually my dad's law firm. Because I went to school to become an attorney. Part of it was because of my own brokenness. I wanted my dad's approval. He was an attorney. I was going to follow him in the family business so I could get his blessing, right? Um, But another part of it was I really loved helping people. I wanted to help people. And hey, if this is how my dad is helping people, then I'll help people the same way. Well, then I started working at the law firm and realized this is not how I want to do it. Now, I am grateful that there are attorneys in this world who will step into the messiness of people's lives. And for him, family law, he was dealing with divorces and child custody and ah, the tear your heart out kind of stuff, right? For me, it sucked me dry. 
I'm grateful that he gave his life to that. And that was his occupation, but he ministered to people along the way. And I can tell you that my father would often fire clients because he'd look at them and say, no, you don't need an attorney. You need a counselor to work on your marriage. And if you're not willing to do that, there's plenty of other attorneys who will, who will do your divorce, but that's not me. So I appreciate my father. who's was a man who was upstanding in that. But for me, I thought that was what I was going to do. And I really found my identity in the fact that I was a future attorney in the making. And when I finally came to terms that sophomore year of college, that I was not going to become an attorney, it was like the core of my identity imploded. And I found myself at a men's retreat over on Catalina Island, kind of beside myself, like, now, who am I? If that, if what I was going to do is not who I am. And during an evening where we were praying and I just felt overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, I remember one of my mentors, a, one of the youth pastors of the church that I had grown up at, praying over me. And as he was praying, he said, and I, it, it proved to be prophetic, but at the time I thought it was laughable. He said, Eric, I could see you becoming a teacher or a pastor. And I kind of laughed to myself like, I'm not interested in either of those things. Ironically, today I am a professor and I'm a pastor. Um, So it it turned out to be prophetic, but the reality is he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself and he spoke it into the light. So who knows you? Perhaps beginning to lean into this is inviting them to speak those words that they see and to speak life. We do it in our life group. Every, Every time somebody has a birthday, we speak words of affirmation throughout the room and it's an opportunity to kind of get a 360 perspective Uh, You hope that you have somebody like Mike Jones in the room who will tell you straight because he's an honesty speaker and we love that. So what do people who know and love you say? Number six, what is God blessing? What are the open doors that you are seeing? What are the things you didn't go looking for, but they just, the opportunity just kind of landed in your lap. Lean in. Give it a try. Hey, remember, it's not failure. If you fail at something you're not, try, you're not called to do, but you'll never know if you don't try. So take a step. Give it a try. Walk through that door and see. Because I will tell you, God loves to steer our lives, but it's really difficult to steer a parked car. God, show me what I'm supposed to do, and I'm just going to sit here and wait. It's like, okay, will you take a step? Because as you do, I'll go, no, put it here. Take another step. Oh, no, put it over here. Take another step. Yep, keep going. Keep going. Yeah, you got it. Come on, do something. Right? So, what is God blessing? And then the final one. Where is the Holy Spirit moving? What is the Holy Spirit stirring in your heart? Because the reality is, you may actually be called to do something that is not in your wheelhouse. Is not in your comfort zone. In fact, a lot of times what you are being called to do is not currently in your comfort zone. I think of my buddy Rich Rapoli, who when we went through the whole um, training for Awaken and Activate, which is trying to take both of those weekends and shoehorn it into about 12 hours. It's not enough time to really get it. But even in the midst of that, Rich kind of hit this moment where he goes, okay, I know that I'm supposed to try to make an articulation of my purpose or my, my vocational calling. And, and I know that it would be easy and safe for me to say, I am called to help minister here at this church and, and be an elder because it's what I'm doing. It's what I've been doing for the last 15 years. I could do it in my sleep. But there's this part of me as a, you know, a police captain from LAPD. I have all this experience and there's a part of me that's wondering, well, 
What if I started to allow God to use that to minister to, to cops here in Costa Mesa? Ah, oh, but I don't have any connections. That would be, that would be risky. I don't want to risk that. And this is where Rich was in that moment. What I love is that ultimately God confirmed, no, I'm calling you to take a risk, to step into something that is uncomfortable for you. I've already done a lot of the groundwork in training you up and giving you an ability to speak into people's lives in a way that Eric and Jeff never could because we haven't been cops before. What I love is that when he said, okay, God began opening doors that same week. Tom Phipps over here had a guy that he's in relationship with who is up in L.A. who used to be a cop under Rich. And he was sick and he was at the hospital. And Tom just said, hey, you know, I think it would be really beneficial if Rich would come. Now, Tom didn't have a clue what this, what, 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 the conversation Rich was having with God. But Tom just called Rich up and said, hey, would you come up to L.A. with me and minister to this cop who is, you know, is sick. And Rich showed up, and I love how Tom described it. The moment Rich walks in the door, the guy on his bed was, like, trying to salute him and get out. And, like, <laughs> like oh, my gosh, it's Rich Napoleon. And I, I'm like, Rich, did you remember? He's like, I, I don't remember the guy was even under my care. But he was able to minister to this man because of their connection. And I love that God is already beginning to open doors. All that to say, sometimes God will call you to step into something that you're not comfortable with. But that's okay because he'll stretch you and he will use you. So these are seven softball questions for you to kind of have a conversation with God. They're not softballs. They're going to take some time. They're going to take some consideration. Let me let you off the hook a little bit and invite the worship team forward. Last couple of thoughts. Number one, do not think you have to have this figured out by next Sunday. This will take a lifetime of exploration. I, I, I liken it to it coming up to with your purpose statement, identifying your calling is like going to an optometrist. And that first kind of, they, they zero in on some things, you give it, you try it, and you come up with a prescription. But as you go through life, you have to keep going back to the optometrist and tweak because things change. And in the same way, my initial purpose statement has morphed and changed over the 20 some odd years that I've had it. It's the heart of it is the same. The articulation is different. In a lot of ways, it's gotten simplified and simplified and simplified. But but it keeps getting tweaked a little bit. And how I'm living it out today is different than how I was living it out 20 years ago. And it will be radically different from how I'm living it out when my boys are out of the house and so on and so forth. So even if you've already done this and you already know it's still beneficial and if you're young and you've never done this at all, or maybe you're, you're older and you're going, but I've never done this at all, and I've just kind of worked for a paycheck, and dang it, have I missed the boat. It's okay to be in process. And for those of you who say, Eric, thanks, but this is about 20 years too late. I'm already retired. May I, may I humbly remind you that you may retire from an occupation, but you never retire from your vocation. And I look through this room and there are people in this room who are retired and who are more fruitful than just about anybody I know who's my age or younger because you have the time to do it and you're leaning into it and you're being intentional with your life. But you also don't have to be retired to be fruitful. I, I remember the guy named, I call Papa Don who was such a wonderful mentor to me during a formative time of my life. Papa Don was a retired firefighter who would just make himself available to hang with junior hires and high school guys over at the omelet parlor. May she rest in peace. I miss her 
dearly, right? Um, but we would hang out there on Friday mornings and he would never preach at us. He would just sit and listen and then drop pearls of wisdom along the way. And just his presence in our lives made us want to grow and be more mature, just being near him. Well, I remember thinking one time, man, when I retire, I want to be like Papa Don. And then God kind of challenged us, like, why do you have to be retired to start walking with people, making yourself available? It's like, I guess I don't. So don't think that you have to reach a certain threshold before you can be used. But may we simply approach this conversation of vocation, of what we are called to do with a posture of, of God. This is my act of worship to you. Right? The, the work of my hands is an act of worship. Remember, in, in Hebrew, the word work is the word that is translated worship. They're the same word, abad. May our work be an act of worship, and may it be an act of service to the world, to our spheres of influence, to the people God brings into contact with us. May we never do it to make our name great. May we never do it to make a whole bunch of money, although that may happen. May we never do it to build our own kingdom. Remember, we're building his kingdom. We are advancing his cause, and it is for his name. So, Father God, help yourself to our lives. Use the things you've already been birthing into us. The ways you've already been shaping and refining us into a unique tool that you can use to advance your world forward. And I pray, Father, that as we walk out of here today, you would give us greater clarity of what you're inviting us into and what our part in this is. We do it all in your name, and it is all by your empowerment. Jesus, in your name, amen.